I think my dad is the coolest person ever, and I just want him to think I'm cool. And yeah, I want my parents to think I'm cool, you know, and to see what I'm doing for them. Also, I think on the other side, I want them to know that I'm not mad. That I'm not mad that I see why they did what they did and that they were trying their absolute best. But I think when it comes to this aspect of stepping into your power, you also have to realize that sometimes they can't see that. They're not at mm-hmm. a spot to see that because they haven't been able to dive in with them within themselves enough to see that. So they're still dealing with the shame. And when you're only dealing with shame, there's little room to allow light to come through. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom, though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. Okay, guys, today's guest. I just have to say, wow. And I want to start by saying that I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason and that you can find a silver lining in things that don't end up working out or that are disappointing at the time. And that is exactly what happened with the interview for today's guest. So probably a year ago now, I came across Shelbs on Instagram and I was in love. Her reels, her editing, like their goals for me. I'm so inspired by her work. I've always been so intrigued by her content. So I have followed along for a while. And in doing so, I realized that she was going through some pretty heavy stuff. And it made me want to interview her for the podcast. So I reached out, we got it scheduled. But then the confirmation email had a letter off. So she didn't get the link and the podcast didn't happen. And it ended up just kind of falling off the schedule. Then a few months ago, I saw that she launched her own podcast and I immediately listened, obviously, and oh my God, her story just blew me away. And I'm so glad that the original episode didn't work out because hearing this episode helped me learn so much more about her, about her blended family dynamics, about her experience in her childhood. I didn't even know that she came from a blended family. I learned about her experience with infidelity and I learned about her experience being raised by really young parents and then being estranged for her parents and the trauma she's been through. Like I learned so much about her through her own podcast. So I reached back out and I was like, oh my God, I just listened to your podcast. I need to get you on my show. We need to make this happen. And there was so much to talk about that we turned it into a two parter. So today you get part one of my conversation with Shelbs. Next week is part two. And Shelby gives you the lowdown in the episode. So let's dive right in. Shelby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and providing me space in your like world. It's truly a blessing and an honor. Yeah, I am grateful for you. We were just saying before we pressed record that we had this podcast episode scheduled months ago, maybe even more than months ago. And that was before you launched your podcast and it just didn't Mm -hmm. work out scheduling wise. And then you just launched your podcast. And I listened to the first episode and I was like, 
that was meant to be. That was the universe being like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You need to hear more of her story. So you launched your podcast, which I is did. so beautiful. And, you. you know, like I was saying, I've been following you online for, I don't I probably found one of your beautiful reels and was like, I just want to watch this. And then I really kind of started to hear your words and, you know, was super inspired. And then the first episode of your podcast, you really, you know, shared a lot about who you are from the beginning, like why you are who you are now based on your whole story. So, you know, I would really love for you to share that with my audience because, you know, we are stepmoms, most of us, there's a lot of non-stepmoms, but, you know, I think you have a lot of wisdom there. You can share from your experience as well. So I guess that's where we'll begin. Like from the beginning, do you want to like, I'd love for you to just kind of start and share a little bit about your childhood. You had young parents and, you know, take it from there. I did. And the thing is, is I'm super grateful for this life journey that I've been gifted. I think it truly is a gift. I do believe that we're we choose it in some form to come down. And so our life prepares us for everything that we're about to encounter. It gives us the strengths and the limitations that we need to overcome in order to fully serve people. And that's why I believe we're here is to learn how to serve people in our unique way. I've always known the way that I serve people is kind of correlated to some of the things that I that are really difficult in my life. And I grew up with teen parents in Utah and they're amazing. I actually don't talk to either of them right now. And so that's something that I like to always put out there is like, I love them so much, but I believe boundaries are really important where I'm at in my journey. And so they had me, my mom was 17 and my dad was 19. My mom had a lot of trauma bless her heart, a ton of trauma. And I think I was a blessing in her life, but also due to this unresolved trauma, I was also kind of, I felt a lot of hurt. I felt a lot of her own emotions. And that's exactly why I'm here is to do the work for not just myself, but for her and my grandma and my parents. And I'm taking it like a champ. (laughs) I'm taking it like a champ. And it's really difficult. So um, grew up in Utah. I have a total of seven siblings, all half. So my mom got remarried when I was 13 years old. And then my dad got remarried when I was four. And so everyone's like, oh, it doesn't suck to have divorced parents. And I'm like, I don't know a difference. Like the family dynamic, it's exactly what I know. And it's normal to me. And I have a lot of siblings. They're all really, really young. Um, The closest one to me is seven years apart. And then it goes all the way down to 20 years apart. So in a way, there is definitely this feeling of, "Mm, envious. Like I'm envious. Like I want the parents that they have. And I've had to radically accept that I won't have those parents. And in a way, I don't know if my parents realize that they've kind of just completely not forgotten about me, but realized how it impacted me to kind of restart over and that I was still here, like this child, I was still here, but they completely restarted and then almost expected me to be in this life phase that they were in, but I was so much older, but then also expecting me to be an adult, but had yet to meet my needs as a child. So it's been very interesting kind of unfolding that dynamic of like, for example, my stepmom plays a big role in my life and she'd always be like, oh, you're an adult now. 
where the girls aren't. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't fulfill my needs as a child. So I still crave that love that your guys are giving my siblings that I didn't receive just because you were in a totally different like area of life. And a huge one is financially. Like you're a totally different stage of life financially. And now you can provide that. And it's almost like, oh, now you're an adult. And it's like, I understand that, but I didn't get that as a child. But can you take me for dinner, please? (laughs) Yeah. Like, can you come and help me, you know, understand how to get in an apartment or apply for college or navigate how to open an LLC, just like things that you've done that I need your help on. But because you're so involved with soccer and getting the girls scholarships, it's like, oh, okay. Like now I'm in debt because I wasn't provided those opportunities, but it all is part of the plan. And so kind of really, really learning how to navigate that dynamic of feeling really rejected from my family, but also very loved at the same time. And so I had a lot of experiences where my life journey is really learning how to navigate rejection. Um, I Every single time I would try for literally anything, um, school council, the cheer team, anything, I, w- I never made it. And I always wanted to. I always wanted to be that top of the class student, that the, the one that all the parents really liked and the teachers looked up to. And I was always, always pushed in the box of, the little girl with the teen parents that struggles in school that now because she struggles in school and has been pushed into this box has completely detached her identity from school. And now she's a bad kid. So it's been really interesting because I've always wanted to encompass this identity and I've always been pushed to the completely different end of the spectrum. And I, maybe that's where the enviousness comes with my siblings is they are that, like they have that involvement of with their mom being involved and my dad being involved and being able to have the resources to kind of live that lifestyle that all children kind of want to live. And yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of understanding this dynamic and seeing it and then also being an adult and just, I like I went into school to become a therapist. And so like I've done a lot of work of just being like, ah, that makes sense. Ah, that makes sense. No, it's it's so interesting too. And I, I would love to hear about the dynamic between your parents after, you know, they're not together and they're co-parenting because, you know, you didn't have as much contact with your dad and you talk about how you almost took on that emotion of your mom and kind of felt bad for your mom. And that in turn affected your relationship with your dad. And I think a lot of the stepmoms in my community can really relate to that because they they see these kids who have these loyalty binds. Their parents almost use them as this, you know, emotional cushion, right? For them to meet their own needs. I think your experience on that is really eye-opening. Yeah. So it's super confusing. I realized at a young age that usually when it was really good with my mom, it was really bad with my dad. When it was really bad, really good with my dad, it was really bad with my mom. And even today, like this is the first time in my life where it's been both ties have been completely cut, but usually I'm in contact with one of the other. So I think for my mom, I was the first person in her life that couldn't abandon her. And experiencing that fear of you could take away my daughter and I will not allow you to do that. 
And having me at such a young age and seeing my dad get remarried so fast and now being in the position of going through a divorce, I see how hard that would be at 17 years old, having a child and, you know, now seeing your person get remarried to someone that is also really young. So I see both sides of like, you're going to take my spot. You're going to steal my daughter. You're stealing my life. Like you envision this life for yourself. And I think when you cling on to it so much, it's really hard to allow things to flow. And she was very rigid. And we all get in that state of like, I have been picturing my life. This was the safety net for myself. And now you're impeding on that. And I don't know how to deal with this discomfort. And it was definitely that discomfort was put on me on every aspect of the parental roles. And so, for example, my dad would definitely try to come into my life and my mom would make it really difficult once my stepmom was involved. Anytime my stepmom would come and pick me up, my mom would call the cops. My stepmom would literally walk around with probably a 10-inch thick thing of just files to bring out whenever the cops were called. And for her, it's like, I totally understand where my mom's coming from. It's like, I don't want to give you to your stepmom. You have visitation with your dad. But on the other end, it's like, my stepmom's like, I'm just trying to help. Like, I am just trying to I'm just to the ride here. <laughs> yeah, I am just the ride here. And so I just have so much empathy for her too, is because marrying into a family that has that dynamic already, it's really hard. And I think that is kind of where the disconnect comes from my stepmom and I is I think there's this unconscious, unresolved conflict internally with her. She views me as, and I don't, I've, she's never told this, but as a therapeutic aspect of like looking back of how it would play out is I'm sure she looks at me as like, you created a lot of turmoil within the first years of my marriage. And then after the first years of my marriage for 18 years, you created a lot of turmoil and I just wanted to have a family. I loved my husband. I loved you also, but you brought on this baggage. And my mom, when my stepmom would come and pick me up, she'd call the cops. And it was really just super traumatic in the aspect of my mom would drop to her hands and knees and be like, no, no, don't take her, don't take her. And the cops would have to like manipulate me and be like, oh, like, let's go look at the cop car. Come on. And then put me in the car. And it was very interesting because I have very vivid memories of my dad and my my mom fighting and I loved it. It was something that was very stimulating for me that I'd hide behind the couch and kind of watch it and like really enjoyed that conflict because I think it was about me and it made me feel loved. It made me feel seen and it made me feel appreciated. And I think also as a child, it kind of gives you that glimpse of hope of like, oh, maybe they'll get back together. Like there, there's no way that they would get back together, but it's like, ah, like they're in the same room and on the other hand too, it's like, I really see a lot of behavior in myself that outplays this like feeling of rejection. I really feel like my mom felt really rejected by my dad. I feel like my dad felt really rejected by my mom, but I mostly grew up with my mom. So I see kind of that perspective more. And so when I'd get in the car, I would be really excited to go to my dad's, but then I'd feel this huge, huge, deep conflict of like, but my mom. 
And that pattern played out a lot during my life. This is where the alienation really started. It's like I wanted to be close and now my dad was having a whole different family. It was just my mom and I, my mom had boys in and out, in and out. And I was just, you know, all over the place, loving life, loving life as a child, being able to do whatever I want. And then my mom got remarried when I was 13 and my mom completely flipped completely flipped, went from allowing me to do anything. I was best friends with my neighbor and we would go out and just do anything. And then she got remarried and flipped a switch. And she even says, I felt guilty that I completely neglected you in a way of just like fulfilling her own needs. She's a teenager. Like you can't even be mad. Like she was a teenager thinking about now I am 28. I was 17 years old when she was 28. So thinking that I had a 17 year old is insane. Like there's no way. So it's like everything I'm like, I can't even be upset. You were just trying to raise another human being while raising yourself with no support because our dynamic really plays into the dynamic of her and her parents. My dynamic with my dad plays in the, in the role of his parents. So this isn't just my situation. This is very generational. And it's just, you have to step back and realize it's not about you. It's about accepting what it is and seeing what it is and taking that role of like, I'm going to use this to empower myself and heal not just for me, for the people before me and the people that are coming after me. So this was the time where, yeah, the disconnection I think really happened of, you know, my stepmom and him really creating a life without me, the stress, you know, obviously it was sad, but I'm sure on their end, it was also relieving to have that constant of every other weekend of just fighting and my mom blowing up the phone and just going to court and just all of that just unfolding. And so I remember that in fourth grade, I asked him, all I wanted for my birthday is for you to see me. And he didn't. And I think that was the first time I really, really felt rejected by my dad. And seeing that play out in my relationships now, like I'm doing a lot of work with like kind of healing that bond. Because the thing that's really I love is I think my dad is the coolest person ever. And I just want him to think I'm cool. And yeah, I want my parents to think I'm cool, you know, and to see what I'm doing for them. Also, I think on the other side, I want them to know that I'm not mad, that I'm not mad, that I see why they did what they did and that they were trying their absolute best. But I think when it comes to this aspect of stepping into your power, you also have to realize that sometimes they can't see that. They're not at mm -hmm. a spot to see that because they haven't been able to dive in with them within themselves enough to see that. So they're still dealing with the shame and when you're only dealing with shame, there's little room to allow light to come through. And so going into like high school area and junior high, it definitely was all about boys, 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 boys. Because you were looking for love, right? Yeah, you yeah. just wanted someone to love you. Yeah, exactly. And when I went to ayahuasca my second time, I the first time I went into ayahuasca, I was really dealing with the infidelity with my relationship and all of that and really focusing on my mom wounds. And then the second time I went into ayahuasca, I was now in the dating world and realizing how anxious my attachment style was and and just also dealing with the hurt of that that reoccurring cycle that now I feel was feeling yet again rejected from my dad's side. And so I realized in ayahuasca, I saw this whole vision of this umbilical cord, this energetic umbilical cord that goes between my dad and I. And I am constantly looking for this energetic relationship, 
to be fulfilled by other men. Because I now know, and I think I've always known that this umbilical cord will not be cut off energetically with my dad and I. He's not able to fulfill those needs. So if I can find someone that replicates the same energy that I feel in this type of dynamic with another man, and it's usually people that don't see me and make me feel rejected, if I can prove to them that I'm worthy then it will feel that energetic bond. And so I saw it and I just, when I was in ayahuasca, I was like, I need to cut this. And it was so hard to cut that energetic umbilical cord between my dad and I, and just knowing that I'm constantly feeding this energy by looking for other people to feed it. Yeah, it was really difficult. So that's kind of like our dynamic is just like really back and forth, confusion, this loyalty. And then in high school, we ended up, then he started seeing me again in high school. We ended up doing every other month. So I'd be with one person for a whole month and then see my mom or my dad every Wednesday. And so it was really interesting because my dad's very Mormon and my mom is not Mormon, but extremely strict. Like, please don't become pregnant at 17 through fear. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was very interesting because I went from two different lifestyles, completely two different lifestyles, a very packed house because I have six sisters now or five sisters, six, including me. And so very packed house to just me. And then my mom started having babies when I was 16. And so it was very interesting how I would start to finally get used to the rules and the norms of one house and then onto the next house. Finally get used to it, boom, onto the next house. And like I was saying, once my mom got remarried, she got super strict, like beyond strict to the point where I couldn't really hang out with people. I couldn't hang out with my best friend anymore. And this was around 13. And so this is a core developmental stage of gaining that identity of self and learning how to navigate relationships. And so not only when I would go every other weekend, I started becoming like sneaky and just trying to find out my identity become, I was a teenager and it's interesting because my developmental stage of really understanding who I am and how to connect people was disrupted because of my mom trying to fulfill these needs that she didn't as a child, just due to, I think shame. My mom was a really amazing mom But in her mind, I think she had a lot of pressure on herself too. And then I'd go to my dad's and, oh, we haven't seen you for so long. No, you can't hang out. And so I really was super isolated. I didn't have a lot of friends and that really plays into my life now of like struggling with this really deep internal belief of I'm alone. I'm not wanted. I'm not seen. And it's just really trying to uncover and peel back those layers so I can see the world for what it is instead of through this lens of when's the next time you're going to be rejected? When's the next time you're not going to feel wanted? Oh, we shouldn't ask them for this because they might reject you and really learning how to voice my needs. I think it's so inspirational that you are so open about sharing that, right? Because I think there's so many people who have similar stories, but then they have this guilt and shame around things that they went through as a child or maybe their experience with their parents. So they just don't talk about it because, you know, they're worried about what someone will think or, or that, but it's all part of the journey. And I think when you can look back and, you know, when you're talking about your dad, it it reminds me of some aspects of my childhood where it's like, we'll love you 
I will love you if you are doing things the way that I want you to do. If you're, if you're not making things hard, right. It was almost like conditional, right. But then when things get hard, it's just like, uh, I, I can't. Let's talk about Element for a second. If you've been following and listening to the show, you know that Element is a huge favorite of mine. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mixed with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Like sugar, artificial ingredients, coloring, etc. It's all unhealthy and unneeded in our drinks. And there is none of that in Element. And it's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs from professional athletes to everyday moms it really is for everyone. 100 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. I have been drinking element for well over a year now. It's part of my daily routine. And I notice a huge difference in how I feel when I miss it. I drink it before and during workouts when I'm traveling after I've had a couple cocktails, I have it all the time. Because staying hydrated is crucial and a huge priority for me. And proper hydration isn't just about drinking water. It means having adequate water and electrolytes. I even like to put Element in a cocktail with soda, tequila, mint, and lime. It is the best. Now, Element is a sponsor of the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast and is offering listeners a free sample pack with any order when you order through my link. So my favorite salts are raspberry, watermelon, and lime. But when you place an order, you are now going to get a free sample pack with all of the flavors so you can figure out what your favorite is. So head to www.drinkelement.com forward slash kickassstepmom. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash kickassstepmom to get a free sample pack with your order. If you've been around since the beginning, you know that I created this platform and community 100% on my own. Google searches and podcast episodes and help desks are my business coaches, and that includes creating my website. Speaking of my website, if you've been on it in the last year or so, you know that it looks freaking amazing. Yeah, I know, humble brag, my website is bomb. I get a lot of questions about who designed it and how much it costs, and here's the deal. I did my own website. I just bought a template from Tonic Site Shop and customized it so that it's aligned with my brand, my messaging, and my style. Tonic Site Shop has redefined the website template. So throw out everything you think you know about creating a website and check out Tonic Stat. These are completely customizable websites designed for people who give a damn. I've heard people say that your website does not matter. That is complete crap. These days, your website matters big time. These templates are incredibly user-friendly with a drag and drop design. You use this intuitive platform called show it to customize your website template without needing to know a single line of code. You just drag and drop like it's hot, no tears, no code, no limits. Head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash tonic to choose your template and then use the code Jamie 15 to get 15% off. These templates are totally worth the investment and help me take my brand and my community to the next level. I can't wait to see what you create. I'd love to fast forward. You go to school, you fall in love, you get married. And then I feel like that is actually what sparked the whole journey of discovering yourself and really like diving back into this from what I can see from, you know, watching you online, but 
you know, these traumas that we don't deal with and we all of a sudden find ourselves in the same situation where we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Damn it. Damn it. I have to deal with this. Like I really do. I thought I was good. Like I thought this was fine. And so I think to kind of like recap on what you said about like people sharing their experiences, I feel so much empathy for my family because looking at their position of what I, how I show up publicly, I know it's hard for them. And my heart aches for them, truly, to expose their hardships and almost expose their face. That's difficult because I'm a child and they did absolutely everything they could. Like when my dad stopped seeing me in his head, it was like, this is how I'm going to make it easier for you. These are the consequences of all the trauma that's happening in your life right now. Maybe it's easier if I just stop seeing you. And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're rejecting me. But in his head, it's like, I don't know what to do for you. So maybe this is easier if I just pull back because there's so much trauma going on. I feel so much empathy for my parents and my family about how open I am. But also this is my superpower. And I will not deny it for anyone. I don't know why, but I am very comfortable about sharing the shit I go through and also owning the shit I do. Like I'm a beautiful being, but I have some dark shadows. And I think that's why I authentically share what I'm going through because it's not like pointing fingers. It's just more like, ah, this is a situation that's happening in my life. And this is how I'm capitalizing on this situation. It's not about them. It's about me, but I have to use part of that story to paint a picture of the realities of life. And so that's kind of where I really feel a lot of discomfort. I'm really sharing a lot of vulnerable things about not just my life, but their life. And I love them so much, but I I can't even imagine the position that they feel sometimes or even meeting people and them being like, oh yeah, we follow Shelby online. And it's like, oh shit what have you heard? Like my mom doesn't even follow me at this point. And there's been points that I'm like, like, I've blocked a lot of my family because it's like, this isn't for you guys. I'm sorry, but this isn't for you guys. This is for my people. These are for the people that need it. These are for the people that have felt like me. And I know what it feels to like to feel alone and want to be heard. And I'm going to use my voice to make sure people feel heard and seen and validated. And yeah, I feel like I've always been in that, that realm of like, okay, I want to become a therapist because I know what it feels like to be alone and I want to do the work. And so once I got into school, that changed my life because I really struggled in school, like really, really struggled in school, was diagnosed with a disability, constantly pulled out, really disconnected my identity from school. But for me, college was a way to get away from the whole dynamic. It was like, I got to get out. I got to get out of my house. Like my mom and I's relationship started getting really toxic because I couldn't do anything. And I was like, I need to just like go to college. And I felt miserably. I really struggled in school. And then I actually was diagnosed with ADHD and got on Adderall and it changed my life. And that's when I started falling in love with school and gained the confidence in myself to learn how to actually, that I could do things. Every time I did something, I I could succeed. And this is where the confidence started to unfold. And I started to find my own identity and really the way I dived into school, like anyone you talk to that met me in college, like I wouldn't do anything because I was studying. And that was how I was coping with through everything that I went through and processing through what was going on and learning how to forgive and also use it. And so there was, that's where the passion stemmed from of like, I went through this and I want to share my story with people. And then I found 
the person that changed my life, that created a safe space for me to step into my power in a different way. A safe space for me to really focus on healing my childhood trauma so I could elevate and evolve into adulthood. And that's what my ex was for me. Those eight years that we were together, he was able to give me the love that I consistently craved for a consistent time period. I'm forever grateful for that because he was my family. I didn't have people that I was close with. I didn't really understand this dynamic of family. And it was just him and I, he was from out of state. And so I had that one-on-one attention that I desperately needed and craved. And he was also the person that really pushed me to do Instagram. He bought me my first camera and he was everything to me. And the way that I even view him, I view him with so much respect. So yeah, we were dating for eight years. Our story is cute, I will say. Um, So I saw him on the bus and I just barely got out of a really toxic relationship. And I pulled out my phone and I smiled at him and I I didn't say anything and I handed him my phone with my with the contacts up and he put it put it in his number and then I ended up we went on Christmas break and then when we came back we had three out of four classes together. So for if you've been to college, you know that's insane. Like that doesn't happen and I'm a year older than him. And so looking back like we needed each other to get to where we are in our life now. And I realized that he had a girlfriend and for me I was like Oh, it just fueled it. It was even more like, yes, you have a girlfriend. I'm going to prove to you that you want me. I would even, I literally would blatantly say that. I would be like, oh, you have a girlfriend. Well, I'm going to prove why you want me. And that just right there is that energetic umbilical cord going back and forth of like, ah, you're unavailable when I'm going to prove to you that you want me. And once I get you, it's going to make me feel worthy. And I see this playing in like a lot of my relationships. Even today, it's gone a lot better because I'm aware of it now. And I understand how toxic it is and how it stems from me and not even just toxic, but how it self-sabotages. It's very self-sabotaging. And so we got engaged and I started building my career online because I wanted to follow him wherever he went with football. This was right before COVID and someone called him on the football team and he left and it was super weird. I was like, well, why is he leaving? Like we talk about everything. Like we had created a program for our university. We were working with the president of our university. We were mentors with the first district court. Like when I tell you, we were very top tier of our community and very looked at. And I think that's what was most shocking of everything that came out is I had no idea. And so the first time I found out about him being unfaithful, I realized that he slept with my colleague, the girl that I also was a sexual assault therapist with, and someone I would have never known that knew my trauma because we went to school together. I was like, you're the one that did that? Like, knew? Like, that's insane. I found out over a period of three times, and those three times were very monumental experiences of my awakening. So like I said, I was already very in tune with myself, already on this path of like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people step into their power. was already doing like Thought Thursdays and therapy thoughts on Instagram and really just trying to create this life that I could follow him wherever he went in his career. And also I'm someone that I just really don't enjoy working for people. I have this very like rebellious personality. And I think that's also what fuels this taboo topics. I love talking about taboo topics because it's rebellious and like, oh, you're telling me I can't do that. Well, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it even better. And so I found out that he was unfaithful while I was wedding dress shopping. 
And it's insane because you hear that and you're just like, red flag, girl. Like, what the hell? Why would you get married? And for me, I was like, he's in my everything. Like, why would I not get married? He is mm-hmm. my everything. And so we went to all of our mentors. Well, specifically our, our mentor. And we were just like, should we do this? Should we get married? And he's like, honestly, you guys sound more put together than some of the people that I know that have been married for 40 years. Yeah. Like you guys seem like you're really good. And at this point we are both getting trained in this modality called mind body bridging. And so I was doing a lot of self-help therapy, really processing everything that had just gone down and like really working on it. And on the other hand, I had already been planning my wedding. I had collaborations put in place. Now this pride thing, looking back, it was like more of a pride thing of like, kind of denying what just happened. And And being like, not good enough again, right? It was like, I'm going to show you guys I'm not good enough again. Like, no way. No way. Like Like, I wouldn't even let that pop in my head of like, I will not allow you to see that I'm being rejected and not, not even any of you guys would care. Like the universe literally gave me so many outs. Like, Hey, we're going into a whole pandemic. (laughs) This is your out bitch. And I was like, no, (laughs) we're doing it. We're doing it. And so it was quite well. So we ended up moving to get away from everything COVID happened and obviously to get away from her. And so right when everything happened, it was in March. And then we literally, COVID happened. It happened in February. We moved in March. And so it became chaos. We ended up moving with eight people and we didn't have time to process what just happened. I didn't have time to process what just happened. And I wasn't really telling anyone what was happening, my family, because I didn't want anyone to view him differently. I wanted to protect him. And so then we ended up getting married and then he ended up going in and playing football. And during this whole time, we were waiting for football and COVID and everything. And so we ended up moving to Dallas and that's where I am still. And I was so excited because we had two weeks for him to plan. Like they called him out of the blue of like, hey, you have two weeks to come to Canada, come. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, cool. But also I was really excited. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I'm going to live alone. This is the first time I'm going to live alone. I'm going to really pour into myself. I'm going to become a better wife for him. I'm going to go to therapy and I'm, I'm going to heal these emotional wounds that are really stemming. Because everything that came out the first time, it really triggered a lot of that feeling of rejection. That was like, I was slapped in the face of like, you thought you dealt with all your childhood trauma? No, you did not. <laughs> like, now let's go. give it to you. <laughs> and so I'm really grateful for Mind Body Bridging because that was really like, I was mapping every single day, really getting out my thoughts and like seeing how I was triggered and all of this. And so I was doing quite well. And at this point I was like, perfect. Like you're going to go, I'm going really pour into myself and no one knew about on Instagram. And I wasn't planning on telling anyone, obviously, because we are married and I didn't want anyone to know that. And on top of that, we had a brand together. He was very involved with my brand. He was my photographer. We had 200K on Instagram. And so it was also really scary because I was losing my photographer. I was losing the person that ran the back end of my business. And so it was a moment where I was like, okay, we're going to have to figure this out. And when he left, it was the most amazing experience of my life. I lived by myself for the first time. That's when I started doing reels because I lost him as like helping me with creating content. So learning how to build my business by myself. And during this six month period, I tripled my income. I grew my account by 60K. I was flown out by Marriott Hotel. I was about to host a retreat. Everything 
was falling into place. And I just saw the power because I was meditating every single day. I was writing my goals every single day. I was showing up. And previous to what I was doing on Instagram is I was just talking about everything I learned in school. I wasn't doing it. And because I was shook to my core, I was like, I know what I need to do to kind of we talk about it. There's risk factors and there's protective factors. When a lot of risks hit you and a lot of trauma hits you, you need to make sure that you balance your scale. So you need to start incorporating more protective factors to outbalance the risks. And so I was being hit with so many risks to really impact my mental health that I needed to up the game of all the protective factors. So my social support, my journaling, everything that protects you mentally, I was just going full fledged. And everything started unfolding and I just saw it so beautifully and I was falling in love with myself on a different level. And it was a day before our first year wedding anniversary and I was so excited. He was still in Canada and I was in San Diego for my best friend's wedding. And I was like, I'm so excited for this year because I wasn't really able to celebrate my wedding because everything was going on and I was so processing the infidelity and you know, every single time I thought about my wedding dress, I realized that you were having sex with my friend, like all of these things. And so I was so excited. And a day before our first year wedding anniversary, a stranger texted me and said there are more. And so I was like, oh my God, there's more? What? And so that hit me. And I remember I literally jumped on Instagram and I was like, you do the things that you need to do when you feel good for the moments you feel bad. You don't stop doing the things that you need to be doing when you feel good because you are literally creating these cushions for yourself that when you're hit with all the shit that's about to slap you in the face, you have enough cushion to catch you. And the universe was helping me create more cushion in my life because my life was about to take a huge turn after this. And so I found out there were two more girls. I started seeing the synchronicities in life that when he was gone, I was thriving. I was tripling my income. Like everything was put in place. And I remember when we were moving to Dallas, I was listening to this book called Discover Your Dharma by Sahara Rose. It's amazing. And I had this thought of, should I be in this relationship? And like you said, I completely denied it. I was like, no, yes, I'm supposed to be in this relationship. Like no one wants me. Like, yes, this is my person. And that was my intuition being like, honey, this ain't it. I was like, ah, this is it. <laughs> and so then I really was super in tune with myself. And I was like, okay, every single time it's about my wedding, something comes up. Every single time it's a moment to celebrate our love. Something about him lying comes up. I was like, okay, it's fine. We have two months. Two months of you being gone, we'll figure out what we're going to do, yada, yada. And then he ended up getting cut. <laughs> and so I have a loft, no walls. And if you know, if you're married, having no space to go separately is really difficult. And so now he came into my space. It's really difficult when you're good, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you're dealing exactly. with what you're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so he comes back and I give it to him because I was a bitch, man. I was all over the place, my super triggered, confused, just I knew I loved him. And I look at all my journals again. And it's like, I just kept saying, I love him so much, but I need to work on myself. I love him so much, but I need to love me more. And it was really coming to this conclusion of like, 
Who do I love more? Who do I want to love more? Who do I need to love more? And so he came back home and I started letting him in again. And he was like, hey, we need to talk. I was like, oh, shit. What do we need to talk about? (laughs) It's just very interesting because every single time I found out, it was so traumatic. It's this physical sensation. It's this nervous system being just slapped and just every single time it's just like I dissociated, I dissociated. And so this third time he was like, there's more. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just literally in my head. Stay cool. He's telling the truth. Stay cool. He's trying to prove to you that he can tell the truth so he can be honest. Stay cool. I think also fear of being rejected. I didn't want him to leave. And the thing is, is he was doing the work. This whole time he was doing the work. We were bulking and training mind-body bridging. He was very passionate about what I was doing. And I really helped him step in his power because I was always pouring into myself and with my education that he was very intrigued with that side of healing. And so I give it to him. It's not like he was just, oh, I don't care and super unaware. No, he was putting in the work and that's what made it even harder. He was really trying to prove to me that he could be the husband that I needed him to be and to himself. And that's the thing is, is like with everything that was unfolding, the biggest thing is, is he was lying to himself. He was denying himself that he was doing these things and that is his trauma and that's his story. So that was the hardest thing though, is I was like, you're doing, you are becoming the perfect husband, but all of this shit just happened, man. Like, how do I just let this go? Like, you are my perfect human being, but how do I let this go? And so once I found out that he was talking to someone while we were married, that was the line of just like, I thought our marriage was pure. You cheated on me with six women for seven years, seven years. And you couldn't just stay good for one year for our marriage? Like that was the clean slate. And once I realized that he could do that again after seeing how much he hurt me the first time, I was just like, oh my God, like who is this person? Who is he? Like it's so crazy the picture we painted in our head of these people. And I do believe that the picture was semi-accurate, but it was also in la-la land of – putting this person on a pedestal because I felt so unworthy of everything. And of course, this cute boy chose me and was honest with his girlfriend that he's going to be honest with me. Like when we first started dating, he cheated on his girlfriend and then he ended up telling his girlfriend. So in my head, I'm like, oh, when you do bad things, you tell the truth. And so that's how I think I kind of processed that. And so that was in December or November. And not this November, but last November. And I was like, okay, I think we need to separate. I need to just figure out if you're the one. And we talked about maybe like polyamorous where, you know, I'm dating. And like, I was really open. I was just honest. I was like, I'm going to start dating. I need to figure out if you're the one. And on top of that, you've been figuring out if I'm the one for these last seven years. Or I have just been with you. I'm kind of pissed about this, man. I've been curious about other people. Like, (laughs) and I think that's the thing too, is is like, We are mere reflections of each other. So when things would go down, for example, in college, I started getting butterflies about this kid and I I came to him and I told all my friends, I was like, I'm feeling feeling some type of way about this kid. And everyone was like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. And I was like, no, I need to tell him. I'm so honest that sometimes I'm too honest. And I just told him, I was like, I have butterflies with this kid. I want to tell you because, you know, I really thrive on secrecy. 
And I don't want this to be a secret because I know I'm going to chase it more and I'm hungry for it. And so I was creating a relationship where we were honest. And I thought by me creating that, he was also creating that. But it's interesting because thinking about it, I can't even imagine what he thought in his head when I came to him and said that when he was like, oh, I've been cheating on you for the last five years. (laughs) Yeah. You don't need to tell me about butterflies. I've been banging checks. Oh, I'm really familiar with that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Oh, we're supposed to tell people about that? Weird. Oy. And everyone would come to us too. Like even our mentors would be like, oh, when you go to the NFL, you're going to have girls that just walk up to you. Like, you know, and so I really was like trying my best to create this really open, honest relationship. Like even if you came to me and was like, hey, you want to do this? I would have been like, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm super open sexually and just like I had yet to explore that. And now I know as I've been in my power more of that, I am very open. But there was this very taboo aspect of sex in a relationship. Growing up Mormon and just creating a lot of shame unconsciously that I didn't create a safe space for him to fully explore himself either. And that's just part of the dynamics. It's part of being young and working through your trauma and realizing how you play intricate roles in each other's lives. So it's not like it was like this perfect relationship. No, there was a lot of taboo aspects around sex. And then being a sexual assault therapist too, that really impacted me. Just hearing the stories and just this fear and also not realizing that I had a lot of childhood trauma when it came to sexual behavior and not realizing how much that really did impact my life. And now as I did ayahuasca, I see like, oh, wow, like the unfolding of everything, like this really like impacted my relationship. And there wasn't this safe space for him to truly come. In my head, there was this safe space because he had created this safe space by silencing himself. But he was very nervous of impeding in my journey. He knew about my trauma. He knew about everything I had gone through. And so I think on his side, he just didn't want to hurt me and he didn't know how to communicate that. And Mm -hmm. I give it to him because I put a lot of pressure on him to show up and fulfill multiple roles, to fill the role of my dad, to fulfill the role of my mom, to fulfill the role of my partner, my best friend, my whole family. Like He had that all on his shoulder at the age of 18. And so it's like, I'm not hateful at him at all because he was just trying to figure out how to navigate life himself. I had to get hurt in order for him to figure out his power. And I had to get hurt in order for me to figure out my power. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone that it would resonate with, do me a favor and send it their way. And if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. I am so passionate about opening up the conversation about blended family life and debunking the stigma that comes with being a stepmom. And you sharing this podcast helps me do just that. Now, if you're craving more podcast episodes and interviews, would like to connect with me and get access to workshops like how to disengage the right way, how to improve your relationship with your stepkids, how to talk to your partner about your stepfamily stress without causing a bigger fight and more, you have to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom Community. Not only will this community give you access to strategies and tips to improve your stepfamily life, you can connect with me and stepmoms from over 30 countries around the world in our private chat and our live Q&As. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to join.